So brothers and sisters, here we are. Uh, we're resuming our study of Micah. We are at chapter 3. This chapter begins the second of his three oracles in his book. This second oracle in the book of Micah is by far the longest oracle. It goes from chapter 3 through chapter 5. But today we're looking at chapter 3, the first part of the oracle, because it's in this part of the oracle that he makes, he levels his charge and he makes his, uh, he, he, he makes his judgment. And then we're going to see starting next week how God promises deliverance through judgment. And then we actually get a picture of the work of the Messiah in his life and ministry, in the ongoing church age, and we even get a foretaste of the, the, the new heavens and the new earth. It's a quite comprehensive view of the rest of history that we see in this oracle. So please, I, I wanted to give this little spiel on the front end because I want you to notice something as we read these 12 verses today. The opening section of this second oracle consists of three indictments. And each of the indictments is four verses long. So in verses one through four that we're about to read, he's going to level charges against the rulers. In verses five through eight, he's going to level charges against the religious establishment. And then finally, in verses nine through 12, he's going to indict the entire place for their presumption. And we will see how that all works together. But notice, or pay attention, please, to those three uh, sections within this chapter as we go. They make very convenient sermon points, okay? All right. So Micah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination the sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel 
his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how it lays us bare. We thank you for your displayed passion for your people and your manifest outrage at the abuse of your people and your indignation and outrage when some among their number exploit their positions God, be with us. Grant that we would have honest hearts, that we would establish ourselves in truth and in justice, and that we would seek to do that which is pleasing in your sight. For Christ's sake, we ask this. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, so as I've already said, this chapter consists of three indictments of four verses each against the ruling establishment, the, politic, the religious establishment, and then he judges them all for their presumption of God's presence. But each of these three sections has a common theme, does it not? The, the miscarriage of justice for personal gain. An utter disregarding of what should be in favor of, of making one's lot better. And so in the first section, he targets the ruling establishment. Verse one at the end of it sets the tone when he says, is it not for you to know justice? He's leveling to them an accusation by implication that though they should know justice, What? They don't. Justice, it's a word that is thrown around in our day, isn't it? It's a word that has lots of various meanings and connotations, insinuations. But never forget that justice properly defined as a Bible word, justice... The word justice is the same word as the word righteousness. This is true in the Old Testament in Hebrew. The word for justice is the word for righteousness. This is true in Greek. The word for justice 
is the word for righteousness. What does that mean then? That we see there's an inherent connection and a theological orientation between how they are to treat one another and how they stand then in relationship with God. To be just is to be righteous. To be unjust is to be declared simultaneously to be unrighteous. Their job as leaders was to know justice. The verb here, to know, is famously yada. It refers not merely to intellectual awareness, mere intellectual academic familiarity, but rather to personal, intimate, experiential apprehension. It is the word Adam knew his wife. We are called, all of us, to know the Lord and his commandments. We are all of us called to love his law, to delight in it. But it especially becomes of rulers and leaders to know it, to put great emphasis upon it. Indeed, here is what the Lord says through Moses. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16, I'm just going to read four verses, sorry, two verses. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous, that is justice, righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Here's verse 20. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the standard. And we can think of how inappropriate, how egregious, how, how almost unbelievable it is when in the civil realm, leaders don't know the laws that they should be following and enforcing. I mean, we've seen this, the studies that, that most congressmen don't even know the Constitution. And that's offensive, isn't it? It's, it's, it's outrageous that they would seem to presume to, to mediate and arbitrate it, but they don't even know it themselves. Remember, though, from our very first sermon here, that while it is true that God makes demands of the world and he indicts the world for their violations of natural law. And it is, it is simultaneously true 
that the legal codes of the nations are just or unjust to the extent that they conform to the revealed will of God and the moral law of the universe. Nonetheless, remember, he's indicting the leaders of the people of God. He's indicting, if you would, church leaders. How egregious it is when leaders who are supposed to know the word of the Lord and lead the people with righteousness, with discernment, don't. And here he depicts in almost, in, in, in almost grotesque manner. He, he goes over the top with his metaphor, with his imagery. He, he likens them to cannibals. The people are utterly dependent upon the rulers to protect them from, from, from just the system in society. The system works like, then like it works now where, where, where the wealthy, the, the haves, ha, have the cards and, and they find innumerable ways to, to exploit or take advantage of those who have not. I mean, I, I, I shared re, an, an article that the IRS in 2019 admitted they go after people who can't afford lawyers because it's easier. That, that's egregious. It, it's the way the world is, and it's horrible. How much worse, then, is it when it's the people of God seeking redress, seeking comfort, seeking leadership, and their leaders are functional cannibals who exploit the people, who take advantage of the people. And it, it's scandalous to hear the, the, the number of, of times abuse occurs in the church and it's covered up. Not, not here, thank God. Not, not that I'm aware of. But it's atrocious, is it not? <clears throat> that the very sheep who are coming for help are then, in essence, torn apart. It's true that in the larger culture, we're a consumer culture. And sadly, a consumer culture tends to consume its own. How dare that be a trademark inside the church. And that's the case in the old covenant church. That the leaders appointed to protect and guard the flock were instead its predators. Instead, we are called to emulate Christ who came as the great shepherd who laid down his life and indeed the the sacrament that we celebrate monthly here is a tangible reminder that we are sustained by the fact that he gave his life for us. I'm sorry, my throat is dry. That he gave his life for us, that he shed his blood for us rather than exploiting us for himself. So, this is why 
It is so important when we look for and choose and vet and train potential leaders in the church. It is for them to know justice. And it's egregious when they do not. But secondly, he then moves on to the preachers who have sold themselves for money. In verses 9 or or 5 through 8, the the preachers have sold themselves for money and acceptance. And and, and it's it's not just that they're telling people what they want to hear, though that's bad. It's everywhere in Scripture bad to be telling the people what they want to hear. But it's worse than that. They preach good things, favorable things, favorable outcomes for those who are meeting their needs, taking care of them. But those who have nothing to offer them, those who can't or don't benefit them in some way, it's not that they just don't say what they want to hear. They actually proclaim God's judgment against them. How wretched is that? How utterly wretched that the the office established by the Lord that his people might know justice, that they might know mercy, that they might know the Lord is instead prostituting itself. Disgusting. And you can see his outrage and his his disgust in verse 8 when he contrasts himself from them. But as for me, I am filled with power and the spirit of the Lord. That is the be and all of the true ministry. That it is spirit empowered. He's not just saying what comes to mind because the people have given him a a fat check or they've given him nothing. So now he's going to preach spirit empowered. And how do you tell it spirit empowered to with justice and might, he's telling people the truth regardless of whether or not they're the victims or they're the impressors. They're getting the truth. And that's what justice does in the Bible. Justice is not favoring one class or over another to, to right historic wrongs. It's, it is who is in the right here and showing no equity or showing no favoritism one way or another. And he's telling people the truth to declare their transgression and their sin. He's telling them what hurts that they might seek the great physician and be healed. His ministry is not one of just being a jerk because he likes to upset people. He wants their good. And so he's telling them the truth. And the truth in this case hurts. But you must be properly diagnosed if you're going to seek the right prescription. We understand this when we go to the doctor. We don't want to hear bad news. We want to get the report that I got on Friday. The report I got on Friday is my blood work looks the best it's looked in years, and my doctor says, whatever I'm doing, I need to keep doing it. That's what we like to hear. But when something is wrong, man, we hate it, we hate it, we hate it, we hate hearing it, but we've got to hear it, or else whatever comes next will be of no value. And so a true minister 
speaks the truth. And this is what he does. But it is great wickedness for anyone to presume the office of minister to then use it to enhance their own prestige, social standing, wealth. Meanwhile, the people who are seeking the words of life are being fed winds and lies. Wretched. And then in the third section, he condemns their presumption, which, which in one sense is kind of at the root of it. They do all this wickedness. They, they give judgment for a bribe. They teach for a price. They practice divinate. They're, they're even doing paganism for money. Yet, and this is verse 11, the yet, circle the yet, because the yet is, what makes it, is what's so egregious. Yet, in spite of all that, they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. They presume upon the Lord's grace. They presume upon the Lord's presence. They presume upon the Lord's having found them acceptable. In short, because of their covenantal status, they presume that non-negotiably, unequivocally, God is on their side and everything then is A-okay. And they just do what they want to do. They forget. They ignored the law. Which makes it very, very clear that all of God's gifts in this life are provisional based upon faith and obedience. Their tenancy in the land was from day one crystally explicitly declared to be contingent upon their faithful obedience. Was it not? And they utterly ignored that. And what happens, sadly, is we in the modern age will say, oh, that was a new Old Testament reality. We, 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 we don't even, we may say oh, we shouldn't presume upon the Lord, but we don't really have any concept of what does that mean? Because, you know, finished work of Jesus, election. You know, we throw out these theological constructs that have been used throughout history to lull Christians into, professing Christians into a, a belief that whatever they're doing God is ultimately going to be okay with. Instead, we are warned against presumption repeatedly in the New Testament. Repeatedly, brothers and sisters. Here's, here's Paul from Romans 11, verses 17 to 23. He says this. He's talking about the fact that there's this one olive tree there's one people of God. There's not two. There's not two tracts of salvation, one for Gentiles and one for Jews. One covenantal olive tree, but certain branches were cut off and certain branches have now been grafted in, but it's one tree. And here's what he says. But if some of the branches were broken off, and that's the Jewish branches that he's talking about, 
But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Ben, you better take me back to Ephesians 2 right now. <laughs> same author. Same spirit. Do not presume upon the mercies of God. Do you want to understand what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? And when Micah, as we read in our Declaration of God's Law in chapter 6, says to walk humbly with our God, it's to remember that God is eminently holy. He doesn't benefit from me. I am the one who benefits from him. He's utterly fine without me, but I'm utterly nothing without him. And not only that, but my sin and my natural dispositions and my selfish self are so offensive to him that if it were not for his grace, I would be utterly destroyed right now. And it's only by his grace, his mercy, that I am allowed to be here. So walk humbly. No boasting. No presuming that, oh, I've been baptized so I can disregard the law, sleep around, do drugs, not provide for my family, whatever. And God is okay with it. Wrong. God is holy. And he calls his people to be holy. Now, I want to back up real quick. He, he charges the rulers, the ruling establishment, whether they were the, the, the civil leaders or the religious leaders, and he condemns presumption, but I want you to hear his heart of concern in the midst of it. The heart of concern is this, that there are good, honest-to-goodness people of God. There are good, honest-to-goodness sheep in the fold, and they're being oppressed they're being abused. They're being marginalized. They're being taken advantage of. They're being exploited by the system, by the man. 
and God is outraged on their behalf. Brothers and sisters, you may be caught in the wheels and the gears of a system of a machinery that is bigger and far more powerful than you. And everywhere you turn, you may be met with a deaf ear. But understand this. The Lord is not blind. He is not deaf. He does not slumber. And he does not sleep. While they are on their bed devising ways to break his commandments and exploit you, He's keeping himself awake, devising the machinations of their own judgment. Your father loves you. And because of Jesus having come to earth to show us what a true leader, what a true prophet, what a true priest is, we have in him the perfect savior. Turn to him. Rest in him, and your day of great liberation will be nigh. But the warning, brothers and sisters, that we must not presume and we must walk in faithful, humble obedience is ever present. Indeed, consider the fact that the Lord is a living God who judges between his sheep who judges truth from error. In Revelation 2, he warns the seven churches, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Consider the landscape. Churches that abandon the Lord and his word find themselves winding up into turning into museums, bars, community centers, or even mosques. The Lord judges between his sheep. If you are honest to goodness, clinging to him in faith, he will vindicate you. But if any of us are usurping a rightful role for the sake of gain and seeing the flock of God as our hunting grounds, then the Athema, anathema of the Lord rests upon us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you and we are grateful that you are indignant and you are jealous for your people. And you will not forever tolerate the abuse and afflictions of your people. Lord, grant that we would be sensitive to what your word is teaching us, that we would seek truth and justice to follow your word, that we would walk humbly before you. Grant, O oh God, that in everything and in every way, we would find ourselves in awe of your grace, in awe of your mercy, that we would be quick to dispense it to those around us to seek ways to better those around us rather than to capitalize from them. We ask all of this in Christ's name.
Amen.